Are you ready? Coast to coast, coast to coast, coast to coast to coast. You're listening to Terra Informa. Shot, then I'm here with Shelly Jodwin and Carter Grzitza. We got a special holiday episode lined up for you. This week on Terra Informa, we bring you stories of are real trees better than fake trees environmentally? And we bring you an anecdote from my bus driver about growing up with the Chinook. starting to get at that time of year when many of us are on the lookout for a new Christmas tree for our living rooms. We're usually faced with one of two options, spraying for the real deal or going artificial. But who wins in the ecological showdown between the two types of trees? Each has its pros and cons, but when it comes to deciding which is naughty and which is nice, the answer isn't so cut and dried. Before sprucing up your den this holiday season, you might want to hear some of the facts, which Hamdi Asawi will take us through. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. Mistletoe hung where you can see. For almost 30 years now, my family has used the same artificial Christmas tree to celebrate Christmas. And until recently, I hadn't really thought twice about it. I mean, I knew that there were real life Christmas trees out there and people who cut them down or buy them, but it never really occurred to me why we didn't. When I asked my parents why, they said that when they bought ours, there wasn't much room in the budget or apartment for authenticity, even though my mom prefers them. Apparently, her dad used to bring one home every year. And this got me wondering about other people. What makes them choose one tree over the other? So to find out, I hit downtown Edmonton a week before the big day to find out how some shoppers have dealt with this classic Christmas conundrum. Hi, what's your name? Renee. Hi, Renee. Do you have a Christmas tree at home? Um, yes, but I don't have it up yet. <laughs> what kind of tree do you have? Is it an artificial tree or a real tree? It's artificial. And why did you choose artificial? Um, it was my boyfriend's tree, but I would rather have a real tree. <laughs> oh, okay, so you kind of inherited the tree you have. Yes. And why would you prefer a real tree? It's more environmentally friendly. Really? How so? Um, well... You can replant the trees and also you waste a lot of material making those artificial trees, I believe. Something to think about. Thank you very much for your time, Renee. Hi, what's your name? Jessica. Jessica, do you have a Christmas tree at home? No. How come? 
Uh, I live in a tiny bachelorette suite and I go home for Christmas. <laughs> uh, have you ever had a Christmas tree? Yeah, growing up. What kind? Uh, a spruce or an evergreen. So it was a real tree? Yeah. And did you prefer the real tree over the artificial? No, I think it kind of smelled like cat piss. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Nowadays, if you had the space or the time to go out and get a tree, which one would you choose? Um, probably a fake tree just because they're more eco-friendly. And now they have like those special LED lights that twinkle. Really flashy, huh? Yeah. How do you think they're more eco-friendly? Because you're not constantly buying a new tree every year and chopping them down. Thanks for your time. No problem. What struck me most about these answers were the environmentally friendly claims on both sides of the fence. A real tree is a one-time deal, but unlike a fake, it's biodegradable, recyclable, and it produces oxygen while absorbing greenhouse gas. On the other hand, I've been enjoying my tree for more than 25 years, which means 25 trees are still alive. So then which tree is, well, greener? I was stumped, so I called Dr. Charles Barden for help. He's a professor of forestry and director of the Tuttle Research Center for Kansas State University. Be any kind of a pesticide or anything on the tree. Now you probably get asked this a lot close to Christmas time, but between real and artificial Christmas trees, which one's better for the environment? Sure, I would say from an environmental perspective, actually the real tree is is better for the environment. How so? Uh, the artificial tree that uses. Uh, a lot of energy and petrochemicals and even lead in, in their production. And then the artificial tree doesn't, you know, last forever. It really looks good for about, you know, five or eight years. That needs to be discarded and uh, another one purchased. And which petrochemicals are you referring to specifically? Well, generally PVC, the polyvinyl chloride, is the uh, primary material that, uh, you know, makes the, the foliage, the, basically the plastic foliage of the, of the tree itself. And unlike fake trees, real ones are actually supposed to help guard against climate change, right? By sequestering or absorbing greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide? Exactly. During the tree's life, it um, you know, absorbs a lot of uh, carbon dioxide and puts it into the, the wood and roots of the tree. And then we, we harvest that tree, the, uh, the stump and all the root system is still there, and that slowly adds carbon uh, to the soil. So some of it gets broken down and back to the atmosphere, but... Uh, much of it uh, will be tied up in the soil. But when these trees are burned or they decay, they release that stored carbon right back into the atmosphere. So are they really better climate-wise than the alternative? Right. What it does is if you, you burn it or get it completely broken down, it does return the carbon back to the atmosphere, but it was the, the same carbon that it absorbed over the first you know 10 years of its life. So we talk about trees being carbon neutral. They, uh, if you, you know, burn up the tree even for you know, heating your home, uh, it'll be carbon neutral in that the, you release the carbon that the tree just absorbed over its uh, lifetime. Uh, but we aren't taking uh, carbon, you know, fossil fuels out of the ground that's been tied up for millions of years and then kind of adding that to the net global budget of carbon. Now, I want to ask you about disposal because real trees don't necessarily have to be thrown out. They can actually be recycled. So how does that work? A lot of uh, municipalities around the country now will have a certain day when you can leave your trees by the uh, curbside and they will come through with a, with a separate collector for those and chip them up to use them basically for wood chip mulch in their uh, parks and areas. And uh, also they can be um, sunken into a, a pond or lake uh, to be used for fish habitat. They'll act like 
mini coral reefs with the uh, structure of the branches and needles on the trees will allow algae and plants to grow on them and small uh, uh, fish will be attracted to that and hiding in the branches and the bigger fish will come into the shade of those trees that are provided. That's kind of comforting, actually. So does this mean that uh, the life of a real tree is pretty much finished after Christmas or is it possible to keep that tree alive and maybe even reuse it? Yes, that, that can work, um, uh, especially in areas where the ground, you know, will not be uh, frozen solid uh, after Christmas. But, uh, yes, we call those living Christmas trees or bald and burlap or potted Christmas trees. And it does mean you, you know, can't really keep it in your house for three weeks or so because the tree will start to lose dormancy and think it's spring and start to grow. And then you put it outside, it'll, it'll go into shock and get damaged. But if you want to just keep the tree inside for about a week or so, you also may want to dig the uh, planting hole, you know, when you receive the tree, uh, and then cover it uh, with a with a burlap or or some sheets of cardboard so it doesn't fill in, and then you'll be ready to plant that tree even if there is some frost in the ground uh, when you're ready to take it down after Christmas. Okay. That yeah. Now I came across a study on this very topic published by Ellipsos, a consulting firm that specializes in sustainable development. In it, they examined the life cycles of real and artificial Christmas trees in Montreal. According to their results, quote, when compared on an annual basis, the artificial tree, which has a lifespan of six years, has three times more impact on climate change and resource depletion than the natural tree, unquote. This is due almost entirely to carbon emissions from the production process of those bristly PVC plastic trees. But there's a twist. If an artificial tree is kept for more than 20 years, the table starts to turn. After 20 years, the fuel it takes to truck real trees home begins to tip the scales to the other side, because the carbon emissions from producing and shipping in artificial trees are a one-time thing. I asked Dr. Barden what he thought of this. The thing that makes me nervous about that is that PVC foliage, the plastic foliage, will start to kind of get brittle and break up, and uh, if they use lead to stabilize that, which a lot of the Chinese manufacturers do, uh, you basically be polluting your indoor ear with, with powdered lead, uh, and so that doesn't sound like a, a good deal to me. It's always more efficient to ship a thousand or something than to go get one and bring it back. But when you look at the um, family memories you're making by visiting a local Christmas tree farm and, and uh, providing some money to the local economy, and the good memories of the kids picking out the tree and doing that sort of family activity, besides just going to the store and, and buying one, I you know, there's something more important than, than fuel use in this world, I think. That was Hamdi Asawi on if artificial or natural trees are better for the environment. So guys, what have been your favorite environmental moments of the year? Okay, environmental moments. Um, I spent a lot of the summer doing super fun things outside, which has been really great. So I would say in terms of remaining connected with nature, one of the kind of highlights of 2016 for me was biking from Edmonton, uh, where I live, out to 
Elk Island National Park with my two roommates, and I brought a field recorder with me. I got to both experience the landscape and the ride and the heat and the good company, but also I got to record it and curate it and share it with all of you listeners and fellow Terra Informers. That was a that was a pretty nice highlight for me. Yeah, mine is like similar highlight, but slightly different. Like it's pretty much the same, but different reasoning. So um, I got my license like a year ago. And before then, like obviously I would bus everywhere and I live kind of far out of the city in Edmonton. So it's kind of like an hour transit to anywhere, basically. In my busing life, I had like, I built a rapport with my bus drivers or like fellow passengers. And I thought it was nice to see like the humanity, I guess, of everybody. When I started driving more because it was just more convenient, I realized that lack it created. So uh, this summer, I experimented with like biking more and I discovered like this really, really interesting death trail. It was like really steep and I basically had to like straddle my bike the whole way through, but it was still really cool. So I wouldn't have discovered that if I didn't decide to bike for two hours to get to where I was going. I recently made a decision like even though I can drive now, I'll just bus more often to experience the humanity. And also because it's nice to like zone out and not to think about parking and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, so I had a bike one too, but I'll go with a different one because they're all bike ones. So I think one that like happened this year that like made me view the environment differently. I went on a, a like a camping trip with some friends on the Skyline Trail this summer. And I like always am the friend that takes the camera and tries to get all the cool pictures. We got out to the Skyline Trail and the first half of the first day or three quarters of the first day is pretty tree dense. There wasn't really much to take pictures of and I was just getting really amped to like get above the tree line, start taking all these pictures. And as we got there, there was the most dense fog I've ever seen, which is like really disappointing going in because Skyline Trail is like specifically known for all of its views. I was kind of bummed down actually and like got like put my camera away and took some like cool foggy pictures but you can only take so many and I kind of just ended up talking to my friends a little bit more on our second day you kind of go on top of the skyline and you're walking on top and it was still foggy so like five feet in front of me like walking on cliffs but there's no amazing view and we'd only get like a fleeting glimpse of it sometimes when the clouds would like split and you'd get to like kind of see far away and I kind of realized how much cooler it was that I just saw that little bit and that I wasn't taking a picture of it. By putting myself behind like my camera, I was pulling myself out of the situation and like becoming a, an observer of the people observing rather than seeing it myself. And yeah, when I finished the hike, I, like, I realized how much fun I had and how great it was and always looking back on it, right? And I don't have that many pictures of it. Kind of like a weird realization for me. I kind of put my camera away for like a lot of the summer because I wanted to start like being more there in the moment because I realized how much more I was on this hike and like how much more time I had talking to friends and like I gained a new respect for the environment. I guess to continue along the vein of relationships and also the environment. I started a new job this year. I have been thoroughly enjoying um, and been really excited to do. And one of the cool things uh, that I was able to bond with some of my coworkers, one especially, over was commuting to work. And it was just a it was an awesome kind of just little thing to to bring up, you know, when you're when you're in a new place and you're in a new, I guess, social environment. Sometimes it's hard to know what to talk about, but but it was amazing. We got into these great chats about about downhill riding, about commuting, about gear, about the weather, of course. But it was it was one of those nice kind of ways that making that dedicated choice to bike to work every day kind of fueled this awesome friendship that I now have.
Is it Shinook or Shinook? Can you actually smell them coming? These are the things Thasmiana Shot gleaned when speaking with her bus driver about his experiences growing up with the Chinook. I, I was just uh, talking about uh, about the, the Chinooks that Calgary would get when I was a child growing up in the 1960s. It seemed that we used to get more Chinooks and that they would come in uh, in the wintertime and uh, they, were, they would come in very rapidly. And the, a Chinook is a warm westerly wind that uh, comes in off over the mountains and uh, it would can change the temperature drastically from uh, as much as uh, uh, 30, 30 degrees Celsius, you know, in, inside of less than an hour. You could, it had a, a certain uh, smell to it, and as the wind came off the Rocky Mountains and, and through the Bow Valley and, and picked up speed and, and came into Calgary, you could actually smell it in the air, and it, it's that smell that you'll never forget. It's uh, a warm wind smell, but it, it had its own uh, uniqueness to it. And that was the f- maybe the first sign that we're having a Chinook. And then you can see the Chinook arch in the sky. But it's that, it's that smell that once you ever experience one once, you'll never forget the, the smell of the Chinook wind coming through. And it was re- a really just a, a great thing if you wanted to be outdoors because... In our case, we would play hockey and go ice skating in the evenings. But the winters back then seemed to be a little more harsh than what they are now. And uh, often we couldn't go out just because it was too cold. But we would be at home and you could feel the Chinook coming in. And you'd open your door and sure enough, the warm wind would be there. So the first thing you'd do is phone your friends. You'd run and grab your skates. And you would take off as fast as you could to the outdoor rink. Regardless of the time, whether it be in the early evening, the mid-evening, or the late evening, and often it would come in late at night, and they would have turned the lights out at the hockey rink, but we would go at it anyways, and we would get up and climb up the pole to the light box, to the switch, and turn the switch, which would turn the lights on, and uh, then we would play hockey uh, sometimes till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. If you can imagine it, it coming that strong and that warm, that could have changed the, the degrees within an hour by that many degrees, it wouldn't take long that the ice would start to melt. So you would have to, uh, you know, play as fast and hard as you could because eventually there'd be water underneath your feet, and uh, and you would uh, that would be the end of your ice skating. If a Chinook generally only lasted a few hours, but sometimes it would go longer than that, and it wouldn't take much to take the snow away if, if you were going to go tobogganing or, or build snowmen or something. It wouldn't take much to, to take the snow away and in some cases start to melt the ice on the hockey rink, which made it more difficult to skate on. But unfortunately, they didn't last that long. Sometimes maybe a day or two at the most, but usually they were... Um, in length of time you could measure them in hours you know you would have to wear a lot of clothing if it was cold outside and as you got to the rink and started playing you just kept taking layers of clothes off and you end up playing you know in, in just your in your shirt sleeves and uh you know and and the uh the winter pants would come off and you'd be in your jeans or something and the fact that everybody would come out and how happy everybody was, it was just a completely different feeling. And that was the favorite memory of seeing everybody on the rink just having a great time like it was a summer day uh, in the middle of winter.
All right, thanks so much, Glenn. That was Glenn of Route 25, <laughs> speaking with us about the Chinook. Shall we talk about favorite environmental happenings like in the world? Yeah, whatever you like. Okay, um, my favorite thing, it wasn't like a news type thing, but more of an inspirational thing, I guess, is because before this year, I had never heard about like Elon Musk. And how I heard about him was this like article about what he was doing with SpaceX and how it's kind of like the space company, like going against the odds to do its thing and deliver people to Mars, which is this whole other environmental thing. <laughs> but I mean, I guess what's inspiring to me about it is that with enough, I don't know, ingenuity, money, and willpower, you could technologically finagle your way into some reality. So I think we could do the same with like fixing all the environmental problems of the world, which is obviously like a very finagly subject, but I have hope for that. Yeah, Tesla's awesome. And the the solar, did you see the solar um, solar panel tiles yet they released for houses? Yeah, the roof tiles. Yeah. Oh, I did actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they're going to be like, apparently, this is just random fact that I saw floating around, that they'd be just as affordable, if not cheaper, than roofing your house with normal mm-hmm. roofing supplies, which is slightly, that's crazy and <laughs> very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess technology is paying off in a sense there, and I think that's cool. Maybe too early to say, but like if a good good person is behind it with the money and the tech, maybe it can work out. I'm going to say out in the world. I think it's been interesting how different communities in Alberta have been putting themselves on the map. I'm thinking of Leduc and Medicine Hat. So Leduc recently committed, I would say, to putting on, like, putting on, I think, I believe it's a rec center, like, the largest solar array in, like, in Canada, I think. Is that right? We were fortunate enough to to speak to the MLA for Leduc about that project and you know it's just this exciting way to think Leduc is not one of the major cities or anything but it's still able to kind of to do this cool thing and put themselves on the map and and that is just one thing I guess but it's a it's a statement for sure of a direction that they're that they're going in and the other community I was thinking of is Medicine Hat and I can't speak to a specific project, but they seem to kind of be a hotbed for environmental kind of tech projects. I think it's just been exciting to see kind of some of our smaller communities just gain some momentum this year. Obviously, also like Standing Rock, just like, I guess like following the election, it was disheartening for me and I guess people with my similar political views. It also kind of like made me more emboldened to like get more involved with things. And I was reading this article about how like the Sierra Club during the Bush administration was still able to like block 273 or something like coal power plants from being built. So I guess just like that, I guess the resolve to like keep fighting for a green planet and future generations. Seeing so much loss of hope, but also like a gaining of hope. I don't know about you guys. I feel like Standing Rock's probably the largest direct action that I've seen like in my small time in adulthood since like I was a teenager. And I remember always thinking about like, oh, like I never, you never really see 
like I at least the media and like my own eyes, I was never seeing protests that were ending in much of anything. There was like Occupy Wall Street, which had like arguable results with arguable motives and like it was its own thing. But I think with Standing Rock, hopefully we've seen at least a small time, like a short term win right now. Yeah, and versus the Trump administration getting in, definitely environmentally speaking, it has a lot of people down. So it's interesting to see. It feels like right now we're at this like starting block where all these things are happening and we're going to have to see like see what happens within the next 2017, I guess, and in the future and like where where things go and where people stand. But I don't know. I think people hopefully are like banding together. And the theme of like community building is like is like really on my mind, I guess. I don't know. It's like easier to like do things when you have a relationship with the people that you're like doing things with. It's, it's harder to work in isolation. Yeah, with that and with the upcoming year, I think like hopefully we'll see. Obviously, with such strong points of view on either sides of like the political spectrum and in the United States, with like people who do value the environment and stuff, that hopefully we can all come together in a sense. And it seems like that already is happening. Definitely with like the amount of people that showed up at Standing Rock and the amount of people engaging online, despite like sometimes the media ignoring certain stories. It. Yeah, it'll be an interesting year for the media and for environmentalists. Um, so I think maybe we can talk about the future now, 2017. Maybe some environmental things that we want to do. I think this year it feels like an interesting time to, to try something new for me because I am in kind of a regular work routine and stuff. I'm not always... You know, I'm not a student anymore, so I'm not crazy stressed out with school and stuff like that. Um, So I'm kind of still, I guess, searching for something new that I can do this year in terms of becoming a more ecologically responsible citizen. Uh, For me, it's probably to be, like, I've always liked the idea of becoming, like, a hardcore outdoorsy person. So, but I've only gone camping like twice. So, I, yeah, like that's my resolution. Get more to the outdoors. And you know, the, we have a free parks pass for Canada's 150th birthday. So, it's the perfect year to do that. Yeah, I think we should plan a Terra informal camp out. That would be super cool. Um, <laughs> for, I guess, like my, I don't want to make it my resolution because I never follow my resolution. So, my like, resolution and I'll stick to it this year um obviously I really want to start I rode my bike really well when I was off in my hometown Hinton over the summer which was like a huge step for me because it's a town built on like a hill so it was it's like not the easiest commute if you have to go down and up the hill every single day it was like really fast to work I get to work in like four minutes and it took me like 20 to get home yeah but (laughs) I uh, I made the same commute yeah and it's summers in a row yeah, my calves are awesome, though. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I would like to transition that into my school year coming up. I, I would love to get on my bike before the end of the semester and start doing – I'm up in St. Albert, so it's definitely a commute. But if I actually ride my bike, it's, like, pretty much the same as taking the bus. It's, like, an hour and 20 minutes or something. So mm-hmm. I'm going to try to do that. And, yeah, I'm going to try to waste less. Last year, I tried to stop using, like, disposable cups, and I lasted for quite a while. I definitely have cut down my use of disposable cups, but 
try to like go waste free in theory or like try to go at least waste free like def maybe not like to commit like straight to that because i don't want to like go cold turkey and then just fall off the wagon kind of thing but try to just slowly make more changes in my life to carry around more tougher containers well that's all the time we have for this week's show <laughs> Today we want to thank Carter Gorzitsa, Shelly Jodwin, and Thesmian Nishat for hosting. Carter Gorzitsa and Thesmian Nishat for production, and Shelly Jodwin for website, and Hamdi Asawi for his story on Christmas trees, and also Thesmian Nishat on Chinooks. Terraforma is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. If you have any questions or comments or complaints or concerns, you can email us at terra at cjsr.com or tweet it at Terra Informa. We've been your host, Carter Grzitza. Shelly Jodwin. And Thasmia Nishat. And we'll catch you next week. Happy New Year and happy holidays. Coast to coast to coast to coast. <laughs> <laughs> coast to coast to coast to coast. <laughs> <laughs>